0: How you guys doing, H12? How we doing? What a good night so far! I uh, ah, gosh, I love, I love baptisms. Thank you guys so much for for being here today. Thank you to all of our guests that are here. To see the baptisms, uh, parents, friends. We're so pumped that you are here. And if you're a student. And this is your very first time, like Sarah said earlier, we're going to have a first-time visitor room right next door. So you and the person that brought you, come join us. We want to hang out with you, get to know you a little bit better. Also, uh, for those of you that don't know, we do this every week. So every single Wednesday from 7 to 8.30, even over the summer. Okay, yeah, over the summer, every week we're having it because we don't quit. You know what I'm saying? We don't stop. We keep it going every week. It's so good, so good. Now, uh, for those of you that have not been here, uh, we've been in this series called Getting Past Your Past. And the whole idea of this series is that the events of our past have a way of showing up in our future. Uh, That no matter who you are, where you come from, no matter how old, how young, how cool, how hip, how hot, how not, doesn't matter. The events of your past, they show up in your future every time. And so tonight, I want to talk about two words... Two words that I think are incredibly difficult to say. Uh, And I don't really know why, like maybe it's just that we're prideful, but for whatever reason, these words are almost painful. To like, like to actually say these words, like something inside of you kind of dies a little bit. Like it brings on shame, sometimes you feel guilt. Like saying these words is just the, like saying them and actually meaning them is one of the most difficult things to do. And those two words are, I'm sorry. I'm sorry like to say I'm sorry and to actually mean it is so so difficult Uh, and it reminds me of when I was six years old in first grade and I was uh, I was in this class and I was sitting next to this girl who had pigtails in fact she had like perfect pigtails I'm talking like picturesque could have been featured in a magazine like like her hair I'm telling you you guys know what pigtails are right? Right, you know, you got the things on the side. So her hair, it was like perfectly parted down the middle, like even hair distribution. The little, and uh, for the record, pause on that story, no one ever called her butt cut. Okay? (laughs) So, whatever, it's fine. Okay, so, anyways, she had perfect, like perfectly distributed, right? She's got that. And we're in arts and crafts. And the teacher hands me construction paper and a shiny pair of scissors, I know, like you feel it right, like you feel, here's the deal, that was a bad call on the teacher, okay, when there's a girl with perfect pigtails, you don't hand a six year old boy a pair of scissors, like that was her fault, okay, anyways, whatever, she hands me the scissors and I cut off one of her pigtails, just completely, like is has gone, she gone, you know what I'm saying? No more pigtails. Also, side note, pigs, I don't know if you've noticed this, pigs only have one tail. So I'm just making it accurate, right? So she had the one pigtail. Uh, yeah. Also, she, she, and you're not going to believe me, my mom didn't believe me, the teacher didn't believe me, but I promise you she said this. She looked at me and she said, hey, do you want to try out those scissors on my hair? Like, she actually, now, I think she meant, like, here's a piece of hair, and I said, yep, and then immediately, like, there went the pigtail. Uh, so, anyways, I cut off the pigtail, and then, of course, I got in trouble, and uh, there was some discipline at home. We'll leave it at that. There was discipline, and part of that discipline was that I had to go up to her and apologize. And uh, some of you might have done this when you were six uh, maybe you still do this now. Like, saying those words, saying I'm sorry is so difficult that, like, when you're six years old and your mom tells you to apologize, I know you do this. I know I know it because this is what I did. I went up to her and I went, sorry. And just like that. Like, just, just barely, like, the bare minimum of saying those two words is just, I'm sorry, it's whatever. Uh, and then walked away and headed for the exit. Because saying those words and actually meaning I'm sorry is so difficult. Because, because, see, like, saying, saying I'm sorry is just, like, 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 it hits your pride, right? Like, that means you're wrong, and we want to be right. Like, we always want to be right. We don't want to be wrong. We want to be right. And so, for me, I, I, I don't like saying that. In fact, growing up, I, uh, there were two words that I loved to say, and I said them all the time. I said these two words, I know. I know. And I would say it even when I didn't know, Okay. Even when I, so for instance, my mom would like, come home from work and she'd be like, hey, uh, your father and I just talked, and uh, instead of steak, we're actually gonna have chicken tonight. And so I look at her and say, okay, yeah, I know. And she's like, no, you don't know. Cause your father and I literally just talked and you are not part of the conversation. And I was like, whoa, chill out, mom, I know, I know. No, Steven, you don't know. And, uh, it, it, like, it was that, like, I would just always say this, because if I said I know, then I thought I could convince other people that I did actually know, which would make me look smart, me look intelligent, and me look like I have it all together, because I don't want to look like I'm wrong, because to, to, to be wrong is terrible, and so that's why saying I'm sorry is so tough, because I want to look like I have it all together. And see, when you say I'm sorry, what you're saying is I'm wrong. I'm wrong. When you say I'm sorry, you're saying... I'm wrong. And none of us want to do that. Like it hurts it hurts to say I'm wrong. We all want to be right. We want to do the right things. We don't want to admit that maybe there's like fault in us. That maybe we've done something that later we regret. We don't want to do that. We want to be right. Now, now Jesus <laughs> Jesus stepped into a culture that had this problem. In fact, uh, you guys may have noticed this, like, the reason that this is difficult for us is kind of played out in the fact that whenever there's conflict, um, whenever there's conflict, it's always the other person's fault. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, you and your buddy start arguing, and you argue, like, loudly and stuff, and then you're like, whoa, 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 it's his fault, though. Like, he was the one that started it, right? Or, or, or if he didn't start it, he's the one that finished it, so totally his fault, like, it wasn't me right, because I'm not at fault, I know, I have everything together, they're the ones that are at fault, or maybe like, uh, uh, if if your parents tell you to do something, and then you disobey, and then they get mad at you, and then all of a sudden, they're the ones with an anger management problem, right, like, come on, (laughs) chill out, mom and dad, you need to get that under control, you know what I'm saying, like, they're the ones, like, it's not me, it's them, it's them, right. Or, or, or maybe you start like gossiping about your friends, and then your friend comes back to you, and they're all angry. And you're like, "Whoa, chill out! Like, can't you take a joke? Like, like I was just kidding." See, it's always their fault. It's not our fault. It's, it's their fault. And so Jesus steps into a culture where, where, where people love saying it's someone else's fault, and we hate saying, "I'm wrong." And so any chance these people got, they would always point the blame at someone else. That if there's fault to be had, it's not me, it's got to be someone else. It's not me, I know, I'm right all the time, they're the ones that are wrong, there's nothing wrong with me. And so Jesus addresses this issue. And I want to look at just a real quick story that Jesus told to address the issue of actually saying I'm sorry. So, grab your Bibles, they should be under your chairs or in your lap. Uh, I want to look at Luke chapter 15 uh, and this is going to be on page 1047. Luke chapter 15, page 1047. And uh, I want to give you a little backstory. Uh, Jesus, for those of you that don't know, uh, Jesus was an incredible teacher. Uh, he also performed many miracles. Uh, many claimed that he rose from the dead. That's what I believe. Uh, I believe he's the son of God. Did all these incredible things. But when Jesus taught, Jesus taught the religious... And he taught the non-religious. And this is what's crazy. So Jesus would actually teach people, like, when I say religious, I mean they love being at church. Like, they memorize scripture. They seem to have it all together. They were the pastors. Like, they were the goody-two-shoes, right? Jesus taught those people. And, and at the same time, he taught people that were not religious. People that didn't like being at church. People, people that felt like if I step foot into a church, like, lightning is going to strike me, right? Right? Like those, Jesus actually taught the people that hated church. So Jesus is teaching both of these groups of people. And uh, what's interesting is if you read through the Gospels, what you find out is it's the people that hated being at church that loved being around Jesus. It's so funny that the non-religious, the people that didn't have it all together, loved Jesus. They were just all about him. So, So he's teaching both of these groups of people And that's where our story picks up in in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners, okay, these are the bad people, okay? These are the ones that are, like, going out on the weekends and partying. Like, they're doing all the bad stuff. They're the non-religious. They're the ones that don't really like being at church. Maybe that's some of you, and that's totally fine. So so, so he's talking to those people. They were gathering around to hear Jesus because they like being around him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, like... The real religious people, you know, the ones that like tweet uh, or like retweet God stuff all the time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, Those. It, I mean, it's fine. We don't have any of those in here. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, so it's those people, and this is what they did. All, all, all the good people got together, and they started muttering among themselves. They said, this man, being Jesus, this man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. Like, in other words, Jesus, don't you realize those people are bad? They're, like, really bad. Like, Jesus, if you knew what they did on the weekend, you wouldn't hang out with them. Jesus, don't you realize you need to be hanging out with all the good people right here? Like, those are the people that have fault. It's their fault. It's not my fault. It's their fault. They're the ones that are bad. Jesus, don't you realize they're the bad ones? We're the good ones. You should want to hang out with us. And so Jesus looks at this situation and Jesus knows something that they don't know. Jesus knows that both groups of people are equally bad. In other words, both groups of people have the same issues. Both groups of people are wrong, and they're at fault. But it's these, it's these righteous people, or these people that think they're righteous, that are pointing at the other one saying, it's not my fault, it's their fault. And so Jesus, knowing this, decides to tell them a story. So I want to look uh, uh, a little bit further down. If you skip down to verse 11, Jesus continued. Next page. Jesus tells them this story. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. Now, uh, just real quick, some of you have parents and your parents are like saving up money. Right now, and part of the reason they're saving up money is so they can retire. But the other reason that they're saving up money is because they hope that one day, many, many, many years from now, when they pass away, they can give you something called an inheritance. Like some of your parents are saving up money so they can bless you with money when they pass away. And that's exactly what happened during Jesus' day. And so if, if you ask for your inheritance before they pass away, <laughs> that's not good. In other words, that's like like saying to your mom and dad, hey, mom and dad, thank you so much for saving up all this money for me, but can we just fast forward to the part where you die and you give me the money? That's what this kid was saying. In other words, this kid was looking at his dad saying, dad, I wish you were dead. Dad, I don't care about your job or about the stuff that you do or about all the money you're saving up. I really don't care about any of it. I don't care about this family. I don't care about this house. All I care about is that money you're saving for me. Give me my inheritance now. Uh, those of you taking notes, don't do that at home, by the way. That is not, that's just, avoid that. So, look at what happened. So, he divided his property between them. So, the dad said, okay, and gave him the money. Verse 13 Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. This is the part of the story that gets cray, okay? This guy just took all of his parents' money, and then he goes, like, every bit of it. Again, imagine, like, just years and years of work. He takes all the money, and he says, this is about to go down. And so he gets Red Bull and vodka, and he invites everyone over, and he gets strippers. Like, it's crit- Don't cheer. Don't cheer for that. So he's like, like, I'm talking hashtag Pixie Sticks and Patron is getting nuts in there. Like I don't even understand it. He's just doing whatever he can with whoever he can because he just wants to party. And after all, it's all about him and he's got all the money and things are great and he's on top of the world and all these people are hanging out with him because he's got the best party in town. He's miles and miles and miles away from his dad. He's partying. He's having a good time. He's having such a good time that he spends all the money. All the money. Like all of it. And I don't know if it was like a crazy weekend, or if it was a month, or if it was years. But he spends all of it. And look what happens in verse 14. After he had spent everything. There was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. See, <laughs> see, when you're partying and you're having a good time, sometimes you think you're like above the law. Sometimes you think it, it, it really doesn't matter. I don't care what God thinks. I don't care what my parents think. I don't care what my friends think. I'm just having a good time. And that's exactly what this guy thought until one day... The events of his past caught up to his future. And now all of a sudden, all these bad decisions that he made are coming back to bite him. And the relationships that he hurt are now hurting him. The parents that he avoided are now parents that he's missing. The friends that he abused are now no longer around him. You notice in this verse, he's all alone. Where'd all his friends go? See, once the money left, the friends left. And now he begins to be in need. And there's some of you in this room that like you're, you're, you're in the middle of just partying. You're just doing whatever you want. And you don't care. You don't care what I say. You don't care what your parents say. You don't care what your friends say. You don't even care what God says. You don't even know if there is a God. You're just living for yourself and you're having a good time. And as far as you're concerned, it's working out pretty well. That's what the son thought. Until one day he was in need. Because it always comes back. The events of your past show up in your future. And he's hurting so bad that not only is he without friends, not only are all of his relationships ruined, but physically he begins to be in need. Like hungry, like literally starving to death. In fact, he's so hungry that he begins looking at pig food. Like the pig slop. And he says, that looks good. Like I want some of that. Now, I I am, I love food, okay? And I'm like perpetually hungry. Like like, I could eat right now. Now, Like if someone put a cheeseburger right there, I would start eating it because I love food. Like I could sit down with 24 wings, eat them all. And then if you come up to me and say, hey, you wanna grab pizza? I'll say, yeah, let's go. Like absolutely. (laughs) But I have never been so hungry that I look at a can of Alpo and say, give me some of that. Like, wait, wait, hold on. You got that Friskies Fancy Feast? Give me some of that. Like, give me that, like, seafood. Like, I want some animal food. That sounds delicious. I've never been that hungry. Never. And yet this guy looks at pig food and says, I want some of that. That's how hungry he is. That's how at the end of his rope he is. That's how famished he is, is that he just wants some pig food. He doesn't care where it, he just wants something. And then look at, look at verse 17. When he came to his senses, This is is the turning point of the story. When he came to his senses, all of a sudden he realized something. All of a sudden he had this light bulb moment. Like, Like a eureka moment where everything started to become clear. All of a sudden he realized, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. See, I'm here And I'm hungry, and I'm without friends, without money, and it's not my dad's fault. And it's not my friend's fault, and it's not God's fault, and it's not anyone else's fault, but my own. I'm wrong. (laughs) And in case you haven't realized it, this is something we all can say. Like, this is something that's true of me. I'm wrong. I've messed up. This is something that's true for you too. It's true for every adult and every student in this room. Like every time, every time you disrespect your parents, you're wrong. Every time you lie or you cheat to get ahead in school, you're wrong. Like when you go home and you go up to your room and you turn on your computer and you look at porn, you're wrong. When you fool around with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, you're wrong. And you drink and smoke, you're wrong. And even though we don't like to admit this and it's uncomfortable, this is true for us. And so some of you right now, you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm wrong. And some of you, you need to go home to your parents and you need to apologize. You need to say I'm sorry to your mom. Some of you need to say I'm sorry to your best friend that you've been gossiping about. Some of you Some of you need to go to your best friend, and you need to say, I'm sorry. And some of you are like the son in this story, and you need to go to God, and you need to say, I'm sorry. See, look at the rest of this verse. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I'll set out, I'll go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. In other words, I'm wrong. God, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, and he went to his father. And you got to remember, this kid has no way of knowing what his father's going to say. No way of knowing like, like the last thing, if you remember, the last thing he said to his dad was, "'Dad, I don't care about you. I wish you were dead.'" And now all of a sudden, he's having this eureka moment. He realizes that he's wrong, and he sets out to go to his dad. And he's not even sure that his dad will let him back on the premises. Like, his whole idea is, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to say, Dad, make me like a slave, like make me a servant. I'll just do that. I don't even think I can be your son anymore because of all the bad stuff I've done. So he has no idea. Like, the father has every right to hold a grudge. The father has every right to say, no, 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 you owe me. You owe me. Do you know how long it took to save up all that inheritance and I gave it to you and you wasted it and you brought shame on my family? You owe me. That's what the father could have said. And he would have had every right to say that. But that's not what happens in the story. Go on to verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. (laughs) See, he's coming home, and do you know what the dad's doing? Do you know what the dad's been doing this whole time? The dad is at the edge of his seat, and he is looking, and he's scanning the horizon. And he's waiting for the day. Just please bring the day that my son will come home. And he's looking. And he's waiting. And then he sees him. And he thinks it's him. And he says, no, no, no. Okay, come here. Is that him? Is that him? Because we've been waiting. Is that him? Oh, my. And he gets so excited. And look what he does. Look, he gets out. Uh, Where am I? Verse 20. Filled with compassion, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Okay? Now let's, let's go back to the point of view of the son. Okay? You told your dad you wish he was dead. Okay? Not a really, like not a good way to end things with old papa. And now you're coming back to him. And so as you're walking back, you see a shadowy figure in the distance. And that shadowy figure is running at you. And you're like, wait. I stole all his money. I said I wish he was dead. He's running after me. He's got a knife and a gun. And he's going to kill me. And then he's going to kill me again. Like, oh my, like he's coming after me. And this is, I should have stayed with the pig. Like, I'm telling you, that food looked good. It was fine. Why did I go back to my dad? He's going to kill me. He's coming after me. Okay, this is it. It's over. I'm dead. Dad's killing me. And imagine, imagine the surprise when his dad hugs him, and he starts his speech, and he says, dad, I, I, I don't deserve, I don't, first of all, I don't know what you're doing, are you about to stab me, I don't know, but I don't deserve this, and the dad says, hey, you don't owe me anymore, hey, you're forgiven, it's done, no, 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 like, I've paid for all your mistakes, it's done, yeah, yeah, yeah but dad, I did this, yeah, yeah, yeah it doesn't matter, It's done. It's paid for. You're forgiven. And see, Jesus told this story. Because he knew that his audience needed to hear about a son admitting that he was wrong. He knew his audience needed to hear a story about a son apologizing and saying, Dad, I'm sorry. And more than that. He knew his audience needed to hear about a father who would sacrifice to forgive his son. <laughs> See, it costs the father to forgive his son. Like the father personally paid for all of the son's mistakes. The father sacrificed to forgive his son. And Jesus knew something about sacrifice. See, because Jesus personally paid for your mistakes, it cost Jesus his very life to forgive you. In fact, when Jesus was telling this story, he was weeks away from being crucified, he knew what was going to happen. He knew that in a matter of time, he would suffer, he would bleed, and he would die for you. Because he loves you. Because he knows what it means to sacrifice to forgive someone. And so while he's telling this story, his eye is on the cross. And the whole time, he's begging God, saying, I hope that someone listening to this story realizes what I'm going to do for them. I hope they know how much I will pay to forgive them. And for some of you in this room, this is what you need to do. See, because some of you in this room have never said, I'm sorry to God you've never apologized to god before and maybe maybe the reason that you haven't apologized to god is because you thought you didn't really have anything to apologize for like if we can be honest there's some of you in here that are like i, I like i've i've kind of lived an okay life like i don't really see like why do i need to apologize to god but hold on let's be honest like we could all say i'm wrong like, we, we could all admit that we've done something that we later regretted. We've all damaged our relationship with our Heavenly Father the same way the Son damaged his relationship with God. We've all done that. But maybe, maybe there's some of you in here that the very reason that you haven't apologized to God is because you had no idea what He would say to you. Maybe you thought, you know what, if Like, if I apologize to God, that means I'm admitting that I'm wrong. And if I admit that I'm wrong to God, then God's going to look at me, and he's going to judge me, and he's going to bring condemnation. And he's going to say, see, I told you so. See, I told you not to do that. Now you've admitted it to me. Now I know that it actually exists. You're wrong. And just bring in all this condemnation. And you had no idea that your heavenly father was sitting at the edge of his seat Waiting for you to come home. Just waiting. Waiting for the day when you would say to him, I'm sorry. I actually mean it. And so I want to invite those of you that have never made this decision to do so right now. So if you would, go ahead, um, bow your eyes and close your head. Bow your, yep, do that one. When you figure out how to bow your eyes, let me know. So I know there are people in here that have been rescued by God, and you've apologized to God, and you've said, I'm sorry. There's people in here that have said yes to Jesus. And for those of you that have done that, we are so excited, just so excited that you've made that decision. But this moment right now is not for you. This moment is for those of you that have never said yes to Jesus. Those of you that have never said I'm sorry to Jesus. And maybe you thought that you hadn't done anything wrong. Maybe you never realized that Jesus personally paid for your mistakes. Maybe you had no idea that there is a God and that God loves you so much that he would send Jesus to die for you. But tonight is your night. Tonight is the moment where you say yes to Jesus. And so I want to invite you just to, if that's you and you know that you need to say yes to Jesus, I want to invite you to pray uh, and just repeat this prayer right after me. God, I'm sorry. I know that I've messed up. And I don't deserve to be forgiven by you. But I thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me. And that you would forgive me even though I don't deserve it. God, I want to come home. And I'm sorry that I've ran away. But I trust you to be my Savior. And I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. And so now everyone keeping your head bowed. If that was you and you know that today is the day that you need to make this decision. You know that this is your moment to say yes to Jesus. That this is the moment for you to accept God's forgiveness for the first time. I just want you to raise your hand. Just slip up your hand. It's awesome. It's awesome. Very cool. Now I want you to, um, you guys can go ahead and look up at me. There, uh, when the son came home, the father hugged him. And not only did he hug him and forgive him, not only did he invite him into his family, but the father threw a party. (laughs) And it's not like the party he went to before, because this was a party because a son that was lost was now found. A son that was spiritually dead was now spiritually alive. And there are people in this room that have made that same decision. And so I want to join with heaven and celebrate the people that have made that decision. And right now the band is going to lead us uh, in oceans. And this is your chance to respond. So for those of you that raised your hand, that was a bold thing that you did. To admit and to say, I'm wrong and I'm sorry and I need God's forgiveness. And now I want to ask you to do just one more bold thing. During this song, I'm going to be right back there in the corner. And I want you to just get up out of your seat. And I want you to come over there so I can celebrate with you the decision that you made today. And I know it's scary, and I know that your friends are looking at you, but I'm telling you, this is the greatest decision you've ever made, and we want to celebrate with you. So if you raised your hand during the song, I want you to come meet me right over there so that we can celebrate the life change that God is bringing to you. So let me pray for you one more time. God, I'm grateful for the students that said yes to Jesus. And I'm grateful that you have saved us. And so God, I pray that you would give boldness to these students, that those that made the decision would follow after you in obedience. Give them the courage to get up and to go to the back so that we can celebrate with them. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.